a very warm welcome to everyone uh, for another webinar by practical spirituality uh, as always we have with us today uh, an eminent personality who is really focused on applying spiritual wisdom in our modern lives practically his grace mahatma prabhu mahatma prabhu is a very very senior member of the iskon community and he's an initiating spiritual master as well he came in touch with the iskon movement at the young age of 19 way back in the year 1969 when the iskon movement was just starting and ever since then he has done a huge variety of services for the devotee community and for the people in general as well uh, these services include book distribution uh, leading sankirtan being a president of of temples college preaching uh, developing various congregations and many many educational projects as well and uh, now all of this has culminated in the work he does nowadays which is uh, creating workshops and online courses and books um, for devotees as well as for the general public through his company satva uh, and through this he practically shows the many ways that krishna consciousness offers solution to today's challenges and writes and teaches in a way that uh, can be related practically with devotees and also uh, the people in general and uh, can help all of us to see life uh, as a spiritual practice and a spiritual journey right which as all you know resonates really well with the our channel uh, about spirituality practically in our lives so uh, the topic for today that prabhuji is going to take is one that is really essential for each of our spiritual journeys and one that he is very very well known for teaching uh, which is practical tips for improving how we chant the hari krishna mahamantra every day so uh, we are really really grateful that prabhuji took out time uh, from his busy schedule thank you very much prabhu and uh, uh, let's let's get started hari krishna well thank you for inviting me that's i'm happy to be here and see all of you and i have some good news for you we are working on a site and it's in the development stage and this the site is its site is a support site which also allows for group interaction and we have different topics on this site and we're still in the construction stage of the the section support section on japa but it's workable at this point so at the end of the class I'm going to give you the link and um we have a little mini course on japa you can take we're going to form groups where we discuss our japa and improve our japa so that's some good news i want to offer that to you and welcome you all nice to see you all namo om vishnu padaya krishna prasthaya bhutale shrimati bhakti vedanta shamini tinamane namaste sharashati debe gaurvani pracharine nirvisesa sanivari paschatya dasatarine so practical spirituality that's that's something um that i've been teaching pretty pretty much focusing on um, for about the last 15 years and in the vedic the vedic process of knowledge you first you learn something you assimilate it and then you put it into practice those are the three stages and uh, a lot of times we just we just understand it and we don't assimilate it or we understand it and we assimilate it but we don't put it into practice a lot of times we don't know how to put it into practice or we don't we're not able to translate it from theory into right well how do you do that you know what is it you know i'm supposed to be humble like a blade of grass what does that look like in practice i'm supposed to chant humble like a blade of grass what does that look like in practice uh i'm I'm not the body. What does that look like in practice? How do I understand that? So I I felt that was really important and so I began teaching that. So um today I was asked to take the more practical side of japa. And one thing I would like to say in doing this, you've heard a lot of japa uh, classes, you're going to hear a lot more. And as Mahaprabhu says there's no hard and fast rule. what we find is what works for one person doesn't always exactly work for everyone in the same way so what i offer you are ideas which you can try i don't want to offer them as absolutes um because that's not what mahaprabhu said no hard and fast rule means it, it means many things but like sometimes devotees say well should i sit down or should i stand up when i chant is it okay to walk 
Uh, do I have to chant in the morning? Can I chant later? Th these questions, uh, these will vary with different people as to what works. And my, my philosophy is always what works best for you, do it. And I will offer you uh, today some of the things that I've learned from my own practice and also learned from teaching because I have the fortune of not only being able to try to improve my own japa, but to help other people improve their japa. And by doing that, my japa improves. The teacher is the one who always benefits the most. <laughs> That's just the way it is. And so um, I've also had the fortune to be able to facilitate japa workshops with Sachinanda and Swami, uh, also Indra Swami, Rabindra Sarup, um, Giriraj Swami. And so that has helped me tremendously also in learning from these great devotees. So we're going to offer some practical tips which you should be able to apply immediately if you choose to, and you should see noticeable difference in your job. At least this is my hope. And many of these things are things that I do, things that I've realized, things that have worked, worked for other devotees. And I want to start right in the beginning, beginning, beginning. When we do japa workshops, the, the number one question the number one question, as you could probably imagine, is how do I control my mind when I chant japa? Because the number one problem seems to be I'm meditating, but I'm not meditating. I'm chanting Hare Krishna. I'm supposed to be meditating on Krishna, feeling Krishna's presence, thinking of his form, his pastimes, at least hearing, being absorbed, and I'm thinking about so many other things. Now, what are we thinking about? Well, we're thinking about what do I have to do today? Or we're thinking about my leg hurts, or I'm tired, or I'm bored, or I don't like what happened in the temple yesterday, or I have these bills to pay and I don't have enough money, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And, you know, it's just, that's why we think that way is because that's the way the mind works. And what psychologists have told us is even though the mind has 30, 40, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 thoughts a day. There's different figures you, but it's in the tens of thousands. Minimum I've read was 35. Most people are like 50, 60,000 thoughts a day. But the interesting thing about it is they say of all those thoughts, we usually have of, of the 30, 40, 50,000 thoughts, it's basically 300 of the same thoughts just going around. And if you look at your mind, you'll see that the things that disturb you the most, the things that you're worried about the most, they tend to cir circle in your mind and they keep coming around. It's interesting, isn't it? Like 60,000 thoughts, do you actually think 60,000 different things in a day? That would probably be difficult, wouldn't it? So we're not thinking of 60,000 things. Think about what you worry about. Think about some of the things you worry about. I bet you were worried about them last year and I bet you worried about them every day since last year or last five or ten. Isn't it? For some things? Yes? Mothers, you worry about your kids, and you're going to worry about your kids your whole life, even when they're adults. That's just the way it is. So, it's going to, you know, as soon as you have a kid, that thought is, my kid okay? Is everything all right? How can I help them? That's going to be recycling in your mind. It's natural. You start a business, you get a job. What's going on in my business? What's going on in my work? How's it going? What do I have to do? To, that's just going to be always going on. You're, you're buying a new house. Uh, how's it going to go? How are we going to afford it? You know, it's just it's natural. We're thinking like this. So the problem that I see is when devotees start japa, they haven't made any shift internally. So what's happening is they begin to chant, and their mind is in that state which it's always in, which is just recycling these 300 thoughts, which are worries, concerns, things that disturb them. And then they begin to chant, and they're totally in the wrong space. They're totally in the wrong mood for chanting. You, they have, we have to shift into another mood. And I call it the meditator's mood because I... From experience, I realize that for many of us, it takes us like eight rounds to get in that mood. We're chanting, chanting, getting purified. And the devotee says, oh, yeah, by the eighth round, I calmed down. I could actually hear. 
And I thought, well, that's a waste of eight rounds. If that, if you know, if you you have to chant eight rounds to get to zero, we should do something about that. Why, why can't we get to zero on the first bead? So, and you can, and I want to try to help you rather than the eighth or the fourth or the, and some devotees will say, oh, Prabhu, the eighth, sometimes I'm at the 16th and I haven't even calmed down. And that's, that's a shame because then we're not able to access the full power of the holy name because we have not harnessed our mind. So I want to talk about something, I'm going to talk about a few things we can do that will make it easy for us to do this if we just make some shifts. And one of the most powerful things I have seen in my japa to help me control my mind is learning what I call unplugging. And you can call it uh, turning your life off, turning the, the switches of your life off, unplugging your life. Um, and I often tell devotees who ask, how do you control your mind when you're chanting? I say, find that plug to turn your mind off. Or find that, uh, pull out the plug, find, or just find the switch. Do you know where that switch is? Where you can just go, and now I, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and I'm totally absorbed. What, where's that switch that you can just do that? And the funny thing is, you're all thinking, I don't know where that switch is, but you do know. Because the funny thing is, we use that switch all the time, right? If, if, if you have a child and the child's hurt, where is your mind at that moment? It's totally on the pain of that child and how to relieve it, right? If you have a final exam tomorrow, where's your mind right now? It's focused on that exam. Where's your mind today? It's totally focused on it. You can't think of anything else. You can't be distracted. I was once on an airplane in India and I sat next to this man. He was on the airplane before I got on and he was reading the newspaper. He didn't lift his head up from the newspaper the whole flight. It probably wasn't that long, an hour or two. And when we landed, he was still reading the newspaper and I was joking to myself in my mind. I said, if the plane actually crashed, he probably wouldn't even notice. He'd probably still be reading his newspaper right to the last end. And We've all seen we've all seen this. When when you're reading a book and you're absorbed, when you're watching a movie and you're absorbed, when you're with a friend and you're talking, you're absorbed. It's like the world doesn't exist. What to speak of when a boy and girl fall in love? The world, the only thing in the world is them. That nothing else exists. It's just they're so absorbed. So my point in giving these examples is that we all have that switch. We all do it. We have to do it. To survive in this world, we have to be able to turn switches of our life off and turn the switch on for what we're doing at that moment. If you're a brain surgeon, if you're a heart surgeon, you have to be able to turn every switch off and go into surgery focused solely on your job, isn't it? That means we have that capability to do that. And so what I found in my chanting of Japa, this one thing will make it's hard to say this because, because you, you could say there's so many things that will help your japa. But to me, this one thing is the foundation, the best foundation I have found for controlling the mind. It's just if I can turn my world off, then there's nothing to occupy my mind. And when we always say, but my mind, my mind, my mind, that's because it's still on. It's still running. And if you turn that switch off, you wouldn't say, my mind, my mind. You'd say, oh, this was the best job I ever had. I was just hearing the holy name. Because your mind's off, so it's got nothing to do. It's got nothing to think of. So let me explain this concept. If you're chanting and your mind's going all over the place, that's because you've allowed it to it. You have it engaged. Your, the gears are running. You've, you've got it going. And so when you began chanting, you didn't turn it off. So you can't really complain that your mind is going everywhere because you didn't turn it off. You allowed it to be engaged. You didn't make any shift. What I like to say is that we should condition ourselves that when we put our hand in our bead bag, there's a shift in our consciousness, which says to us subconsciously or consciously, I'm chanting Japa now. 
everything has to change. Everything has to shift. If we can get to that point where we condition ourselves that, okay, I'm chanting Japa, mind shut down, life shut down. And we'll talk more about how to develop the right moods a little after this. But this is the first point. This is what we want to develop. If you can develop this ability to find that switch and just click it off, you will find it's so easy to chant. It's so easy to hear because there's no distraction. There's nothing getting in the way. Oh, I have to do this. Maybe I should stop chanting. Oh, this is boring. Oh, what about that? I forgot to do that. Oh, this message, I forgot to answer it. It won't be there because you've turned it off. And all your messages will be there later when you finish your rounds. I'll, I will make a, a, a solemn vow to you. You don't have to think about all your messages because when you finish your japa, they're still going to be there. And you don't even have to think about your problems when you chant japa because when you finish chanting japa, they're probably still going to be there. If you chant good rounds, they may not be there anymore, but that's, that's good. And everything that you need to think about, it's all going to be there when you finish chanting japa and you don't need to think about it. What you need to do during japa is connect with Krishna. So if you can learn how to do that before you begin chanting japa and practice it every day, then the hope is that at some point, as soon as you touch your first bead, it automatically happens and you are there present with the holy name on the first mantra, not the eighth, not the fourth, not the twelfth. Wouldn't that be good if you could do that? Uh, wouldn't that be good if the first mantra, you're there, you're present, totally? Wouldn't that be amazing? And I think that should be our standard. So, now you're thinking, some of you are thinking, but how do you turn your mind off? And I say, well, when you watch, when you watch a movie, how did you do it? How did you turn? You're not thinking about anything else. You're, you are completely mesmerized by that movie. You like the guy in the airplane. The world could blow up. You're watching your movie. You're like, oh, did something happen? <laughs> Isn't it like that? The guy watching a sport event, you know, there's an earthquake and he's like, everyone's screaming. He's like, oh, did something happen? Uh, oh, forget it. And he just goes back to his sporting event. So we know how to do this. You're sitting down reading the book. You're on Facebook. You're on Twitter, Instagram, something. And you're just absorbed. You know how to do this. So I'm going to kind of leave it to you to figure this out, but I want you to understand that this is going to make a huge difference in your japa. If you just, when you sit down to chant, there's this consciousness that comes over you that says, I'm chanting japa now, and there is nothing else there's nothing during japa nothing else goes on i think hk can someone mute hk i can't mute hk i'm not in charge here hk can you mute yourself anybody's not muted can you mute yourself thank you we're hearing something so um so how do we do this? We understand that we have to do this. This is what it means to chant. This is so important because I think what I've learned from, from teaching Japa is that a lot of devotees, you know, they're just given beads and say, well, you know, here's the head bead and you just chant. And when you don't chant on the head bead and you go and then you go around and that's like, that's like all they're taught. They're not really taught that chanting means you have to shift consciousness. So if you understand this principle, that when I chant japa, it's just like I'm talking to a friend. The friend's coming over, we have an appointment, we're going to do something, or if the friend has a problem, we're going to talk. You are, you have turned everything off. The friend comes over and you just sit down and say, tell me. Or as they say in India, tell me. What? You walk into the shop and they say, tell me. Is that it? Vijay Lakshmi, is that right? Is that what they say? Tell me. So, um, so you, you, your friend comes over and you say, tell me, sit down, tell me. And you're totally there. You're completely present. Because that's what you have to do. That's what's right for the relationship. 
And you've probably heard lectures where devotees say, you know, if we're not hearing the holy name, it's like we're ignoring Krishna, but, and it's true. So if you understand this principle, that when I chant, I'm supposed to give my attention to Krishna, who's a person who's personally appearing in his holy name, then you naturally think, okay, I have to figure this out. I have to be able to do this. How am I going to do this? I have to figure it out. I have to be able to do it. And you, just like you made room for your friend to listen to them, you can do this. But I think it's important. I think the problem is we don't do it because we don't understand this is what we need to do. We don't understand that chanting Japa is not, you just pick up your beads and Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram. That's not Japa. That, that is like the worst thing you can do. I mean, imagine you did that to your friend when she came over and she was talking to you and you're like, la di da 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 looking around and, you know, slouching over. Um, I took a class in empathic listening, and you know what they said? They said, when you do empathic listening, you have to sit like this. You have to sit up straight and lean forward and listen. Isn't that interesting? Sit up, lean forward, and listen. Give that person your, and look at them and give your attention. So we have to do the same thing with the holy name. We have to lean, you know, lean forward and give the holy name attention. And I know you can all do that, and so I'm suggesting that you, you, once you understand that this is what it means to chant japa, that other stuff we do, schnick schnick, ram ram, and walking around and spacing out, that's not actually, that's not actually what japa is about. It's not what it means. You know, Prabhupada says chant 16 rounds, and some devotees are thinking, oh, I just have to, you know, pull 16 counter beads down, you know, 108 times 16, and, and I'm good to go back to Godhead. No, nothing in the world can be done, done haphazardly. Everything, you know, go to university for four years and you'll get a degree. Yeah, if you study, if you pass your exams, you will, but not just, not just that you hang out on the campus. Well, I went, you know, I failed all my classes, but I, but I went to, I, when I was on the campus, did you go to class? No. Did you do the work? No. But I was on campus. I mean, my parents said, go to college for four years. That's what I did. I went to campus every day. I walked around, talked to my friends. It's something like that. Well, I chanted 16 rounds. Well, what kind of rounds were they? Uh, well, I mean, at least I got them done. Uh, so when you understand that Japa is a relationship, and that a relationship requires that you have to stop everything to pay attention to that relationship, then it's much easier to do this. And then you understand, okay, this is japa. When I chant japa, this is this is what I do. I I turn off the world as far as I as far as possible. I know if you're a mother, you have kids, that's not so easy. But sometimes you just take the kids and you go to your husband and you say, Here, they're yours. I'm going to chant japa. See you later. And you just do it, you know. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you say, I'll be back in an hour. Don't You can manage. I do this for 23. You can do it for one. No problem. Of course, you probably want to talk to him before you do that. So he doesn't have a heart attack. But this is the idea. Um, it's about creating environment. So what what is the environment that I need to create where I can be totally absorbed and turn off everything? And be able to chant. We have to. We have to. We have to understand that as a principle, uh, as a foundational principle. And then once you understand it, you're going to find it much easier to do because this is what I need to do. I need to figure out how, when I chant, I can get that switch in my head, turn it off. Just it goes off. The mind goes off. So I always want to reiterate this point once more because. When I do this, I'm so amazed at how easy it is to hear because my mind actually is not thinking about what I have to do because I turned it off. So I just want to re reiterate this point because I'm not sure it was clear. The point I made a little earlier was if your mind is going, it's because you're allowing it to go. It's because you're still in your life. You're still thinking about what you have to do. You're still thinking about all these things. 
and therefore you've given permission to your mind to continue the normal thinking process, the normal absorption, I have to do this, to do that, what about this, what about that, what about this service I want to do, what about this point of philosophy, all that, we don't want that, we want to be absorbed just in the holy name. And so whenever your mind is going like that, the first thought is, okay, stop, wait, did I turn my mind off or not? And you realize, no, I didn't. Of course, sometimes it turns back on. But generally, if in the beginning we turn it off, it's much easier to stay off if we actually have it off. And because as you chant, you go more deeply into your chanting. And it's so amazing that you just, you don't want to leave that space. And you realize, this is what chanting is. I, I left my space. Now, there's something really interesting. When we did our retreats, we would go up into the mountains somewhere and do these retreats. And these places were, were pretty far from where we lived. And Satyananda Swami said, I think he said, or I read, when you do a retreat, it has to be a minimum six hours from where you live. To, 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 to do, you know, this is like a tradition. If we're all going to go on a retreat, it should at least be six hours. Because when you get six hours away from where you live, you kind of disassociate from your life there, and it's a new position. So now you're at the retreat, and you're, you're pretty far from your life, you, you know, you can't really just drive home in a half hour. And so it frees your mind up. So now when people do retreats, they say, oh, my job was so much better. Well, that's one of the major reasons it was so much better, aside from the fact that you're hearing about the Holy Name and you're with devotees. But the foundational reason is you're out of your life now. So retreats are meant to take people out of their life. So they're disconnected. So now that they can focus on what they have to do. Same thing when you go to India, you go to the Holy Dom. Your life is back in America. Your life is back in Europe. Your life is back in Canada, South America, Africa. Now you're in India. You're in the Dom. Or you live in India and you go to the Dom. You left your life somewhere else and now your mind's free. And it's not thinking so much about what you have to do. It's thinking more about the Holy Name. Any of you have that experience when you go away somewhere? It's easier to chant. You go to Vrindavan, you go to Mayapur. You're, you're, so that's the idea. When you chant, you kind of have to leave your life like behind. And once you do that, the mind just, it shuts down because you haven't given it permission any longer to be active. And it's got nothing to think about now because you turned it off. I know that sounds simple and you're thinking, uh, I don't know, that easy? I don't want to say it's that easy. But I do want to say is that's what happens. That's what happens all the time. We turn our minds off conscious, unconsciously. So you can do that. And I, I think this should make sense to you that when your mind's turning off, turned off, why is it going to be thinking? You, you know, you're over in Vrindavan and you're on Parikrama and some, you know, at Govardhan. Why would you be thinking about what's going on in your house 5,000 miles away? You won't. It's unnatural. And that's why when you're there, you can be totally absorbed. Until you get the phone call, your house is burning down and everything you own is gone. And you're like, ah, now you're thinking of your house. But in, in the normal course of events, once you leave that, you won't. So that's what you're trying to do. That's what you're trying to do. Before you begin chanting, you're going to try to say, okay, you're like telling yourself, now I'm chanting, so switch, wherever that switch is, turn it off, world, you just sink down, you're going, uh, I'm setting you aside so that I can chant Krishna's name. That's it. And sometimes, like for myself, on a practical level, if I have to do that, and there's a lot going on in my house, because our house is not that big, so wherever I sit in the house, I could hear people talking. Sometimes I'll just go outside or I'll go for a walk so I can create the environment. So sometimes sometimes you can get the switch off, but you're in an environment that keeps clicking the switch back on, like other people are turning your switch on. They're distracting you. So sometimes you'll have to find that environment which is conducive. So that's an important, it's an important practice of japa. You're, you've, you know, what we talked about was creating that internal environment, internal, but sometimes you'll have to create that external. You'll have to make sure that that external environment, as far as, as far as you can control, as far as possible, 
is not disturbing you. Okay, so that's one principle. If you get this, you know, you know, you ever heard the saying, 90% of success is showing up? Have you ever heard that? I think that's a Hollywood saying, is it? I don't know where, every, if anybody's from Hollywood, they must have heard it. But I grew up near Hollywood, so. 90% of success is showing up. My experience with Japa is kind of like, it's something like that. It's like, if you can do this, it's pretty much like you're going to be successful. It's like you're, you're already there. Because now, there's no distraction. There's nothing. It's just your mind is off and you are, your atmosphere is conducive. When you start chanting, immediately you notice, well, I'm hearing, I'm absorbed. Why am I hearing and absorbed? There's nothing, my life is not, I don't need to be in my life anymore. There's nothing going on there. When you do this, you know what's going to happen? The switch, the switch has its own auto lever. It turns itself back on because we're so used to those 300 thoughts recycling that sometimes when you turn them off, you think, uh-oh, I'm not thinking those things. I have to start thinking those things I'm so used to. So you may have to practice turning, uh, turning that switch off because it sometimes it just flicks back on because we're so used to it. Okay, so that's... Point number one, and I think the plan is I go another fifteen minutes. Right, let me take questions. Uh, I'll get to the questions. Yeah, you can ask your questions now, uh, and I'll 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 let's do one more point. I want to do one or two more points, and then I'll take your questions. So, um. Now, the next thing I saw, was, which was a problem, which is very similar to this problem, is that when devotees began chanting, they weren't in the mood for japa. Or they weren't, I don't want to say they weren't in the mood for japa, they weren't in the mood of japa. It's like, you know, your mind's in a certain frame set to do certain things, right? If you're going to go play a sport, if you're going to go on stage and perform, you know, that's like a different mindset than if you're going to go sit down and read a book or you're going to go sit down and cook a meal. No, you don't sit down and cook. Well, in India, they do. You're going to, you're going to cook a meal or you're going to um, take prasadam. It's a different mindset, right? Or you're going to, you know, talk to your husband. It's a different mindset. You're going to go to work. It's a different mindset. And another problem I see is that devotees, when they begin chanting, they don't, they don't switch into the mindset that's required. And there are many meanings to the holy name. And the mindset is to get into the, to that frequency of what the holy name means and get into the frequency of understanding. Right now I'm praying to Krishna for pure bhakti. I'm praying to Krishna to help me overcome my anarthas. I'm praying to Krishna to purify my heart. I'm praying for so many things. So prayer is a mindset, isn't it? Like if you, if I say, Vijay Lakshmi, go in the temple and pray. So she dry gets in her car, goes to the temple, walks in, and as soon as she walks into the temple, there's a mindset switch. I'm in a temple, there are the deities, there's the murti of Prabhupada. It's just, we all go through that mindset switch as soon as we walk in the temple, isn't it? And the bigger the temple, the more the more beautiful and opulent, kind of more the mind switch. Oh, I'm in a temple. You know, you walk into Mayapur temple and it's like 3,000 devotees at Mangalarti. It's like, oh, okay. And there's big Panchatattva. There's a shift there. Um, so, a lot of times when we chant Japa, we don't make that shift in mood. And so there's a mood, which is, it's to enter the mood of prayer, just like you would make that shift when you walk in a temple. So there are many moods that accompany japa, and I, I don't want to be here to say there's only one mood, and this is the mood you should have. But we know some of the things that Prabhupada said, Krishna, please engage me in your service. Uh, please don't engage me in Maya's service. 
uh, Krishna, please accept me. I want to be your devotee. Accept me. I'm coming to you. Forgive me for all the offenses I've ever made. Forgive me for leaving you. Um, please accept me. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Please let me always be eternally your servant. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Please, uh, Krishna, Prabhupada said, Krishna, oh, my friend, my friend. Hare Krishna, Hare, my friend, my friend. And bring my heart to you, my friend. Uh, make me qualified to serve you. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. These are all meanings. So when we begin japa, there should be a little bit of a switch of mood. I um, created a book called Japa Affirmations. It's on it's on Amazon. You just type in Mahatma Das Amazon, uh, or just type in Japa Affirmations. You can download that book. I think you can even order a hard copy in some countries. And so um, maybe Jai Radhe, are you here? Somebody's here, or Vijay Lakshmi. If you could put the link up for that, this this book. Uh, Jai Radhe's here. This book, Chop Affirmations, what it was, it was meant to create that mood that, that so that when you chant Japa, you're like in the right mood. And just like, um, you see like sports stars or people who perform, they, you know, before they perform, they have to like be in this mood, otherwise it doesn't work. Um, uh, sports people are, they get in this aggressive mood, like we're going to win. <clears throat> they can't be they can't walk out to the field shy and uncertain of themselves they may have that nature they may be shy people but when they go to to play the game or many speakers are actually shy but they go out on the stage and they're like they're huge bigger than life and um, that's what has to be done so these moods in this book this book if you if you like you can get this book and it can help you that was the idea, create these moods through affirmations. How I should be feeling, how should I be thinking, how I should be approaching the name. So that when I begin chanting, I'm in this optimal state for having a good japa session. So I've turned my world off. There's nothing going on in my mind. My mind is now clear. I'm with Krishna. And then I've created this mood, this, this like, what am I doing here? What is the meaning of the holy name? What am I connecting to? What am I praying for? And then I begin chanting, and it's an amazing experience. Just those two things can shift you tremendously. Just those two things. And I want to say one more thing. And if these were the only three things I could ever tell devotees about how to improve japa, these would be the three things. And I want to tell a story. Some of you have heard this story, and it's um, an amazing story. One time uh, there was a group, I'll make this story really short. It's a long story made short. There was a professional group chanting Hare Krishna. And professionals chant for money. They get paid. You invite them to weddings, funerals, events, and they'll chant Hare Krishna. And they were chanting at Mayapur. And Prabhupada said, they were chanting the Maha Mantra. And Prabhupada said, they're not, they're not chanting the Maha Mantra. <laughs> And everybody's thinking, well, I, I hear the Maha Mantra. I don't know what is Prabhupada. You know what Prabhupada heard them chanting? It came out Maha Mantra, but Prabhupada heard money, money, money. So what was the message? And Prabhupada's saying, it's the mood behind the mantra. That's what you're chanting. So if the mood behind the mantra is money, 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 it comes out as Hare Krishna, but what are you actually asking for? So... Don't just think, if I just chant Hare Krishna, that's it. But there's more, there's more. It's, it's what am I asking Krishna for? That actually becomes the meaning of the mantra, which is so interesting because Prabhupada says the meaning is, Krishna, please engage me in your service, or Krishna, please accept me, so many meanings. But what's the meaning for the Mayavadis when they chant Hare Krishna? Krishna, make me one with you. So even though they're chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, it's a different mantra for them because they're putting a different meaning. So ask yourself when you're chanting, well, what, what's my meaning? Well, what's going on here? Right? And because you could be chanting Hare Krishna and thinking, oh, Krishna, husband, husband, I need a husband. Or I need a new husband. Trade this guy in, he's a bum. You know, instead of pure bhakti, uh, 
I need more money. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Money, money, money. So what are you chanting? You're chanting money. It just sounds like you're chanting Hare Krishna. So um, we ask ourselves, what am I? What am I really trying to achieve here? What's actually going on? And we monitor ourselves, and we understand it's not that I'm just chanting Hare Krishna and that's it, and everything is good. It's not just a me mechanistic process, but it requires your in your intention is everything. Okay, so now it's time for questions. I'm going to go back to the top. Um. Prabhu, if you if you like, uh, um, um, I can filter out the questions and put them to you. Maybe that would okay. be easier. Okay. Yeah, sure. Filter them out. Yeah. So, um, um, one question that I can see is: uh, Is it okay to listen to Srila Prabhupada chanting, uh, or to listen uh, to Kirtan uh, during our chanting to control our mind? Um. Yeah, Prabhupada chanting Japa. Prabhupada said, uh, if you're listening to Kirtan, it's redundant. Like, you're already chanting Hare Krishna, so I have to do Kirtan or chant Japa, but not both together. But if you like, you can hear Prabhupada chanting Japa. If that helps you, it's not mandatory, but if it helps you. Thank you, bro. Should I, should I take the next question? Yeah, just keep going. Yeah. So um, uh, another question is, sometimes when you're chanting, all the things that have hurt you come into your mind and they make you feel angry and you have to leave your japa until you calm down. Mm -hmm. uh, how to not let these things become obstacles? Oh, you have six hours, I can tell you. <laughs> um, one thing I would say, um, I think it plays into what I'm saying. If you're trying to create the meditator's mood, you know, the right mood to enter japa, then you're going to have to process that anger. Because if you don't, that's all you're going to be thinking about when you chant japa. And it's kind of like you just ruined your japa. I'm sure so many of you have experience of what we could call ruining my japa. You finish your rounds and you feel like, I didn't really even chant. I just kind of ruined it in, in thinking. Um, of so many things, or being upset about so many things, or not being in the proper mood to chant, and it almost felt like I didn't chant. So, um, I think the best advice I could give, because that's a complicated question, because there'd be so many reasons why you're upset, and so many ways to deal with it, and so, so much you could ask yourself. But um, at least number one answer is, you have to get yourself in the right state to chant, and if you chant in that state, it's it's you know if that's all you can do and you don't have any other time, then you have to do it. But it's not; it's ideally you have to get yourself in that state. Um, I can say one little thing about anger. Every emotion, generally, every emotion we're having that's in response to a situation, we're responding to a situation according to the story we put on the situation. Um, just like, let's say, you asked your husband or your wife to do something and they didn't do it and you were counting on them doing it. And you're really upset when they come back and you think, oh, they don't love me or they don't listen to me or they disrespect me. That's your story, right? Um, is there another story? Could there be some other story? Yeah, like their car broke down or they had to stay late at work or they're sick or there was an emergency and they had to run out. Uh, it could be so many other reasons. So sometimes when we're upset, we just ask ourselves, what else could this mean? You know, my husband said this and that. What else could it mean? He probably got, yeah, maybe he got yelled at by his boss today, or maybe, you know, something just, uh, something just um, really upset him because uh, the, uh, of something in the past that happened and it's happening again and right now he's really upset. You know, there could be so many other reasons. So sometimes we just have to ask ourselves the question, you know, I'm disturbed by this. Could it mean anything else? Or just ask ourselves, why am I allowing myself to get disturbed? And understanding I could be totally ruining my japa today, but unless I let this go or process it in some way. Um, one thing more I, will, I, I could say on this, which is it's interesting. And um, 
this is not generally spoken about, although it's implied in our philosophy, but it's what I call emotional detachment. Detachment, we're always talking about detachment from things which are more obvious, like my lust, my greed, my anger, you know, things which are just my possessions, my body. But what about these things, these little things like, um, I'm feeling this emotion now and it's very toxic and, it, and it's getting in the way of my japa. Can I let that go? Can I see this emotion like I'm just holding on to it and just drop it? Because that's all you're doing. Uh, you are not your emotion, you're just holding on to it. And you can actually let it go because you as the soul are experiencing an emotion just like you experience a thought, then the thought becomes a feeling, it becomes an emotion. You can let go of the thought, you can let go of the emotion. It's harder to let go of the emotion than thought, but you can do it. For the sake of the sanctity of your japa, you could practice letting go. And you just ask yourself, am I willing to let go of this right now to chant japa? Can I do that? And you actually can. In many cases, if you practice that, you just tell yourself, okay, let's just let this go. This is not serving me, let's drop it. So that's, the short answer to the six-hour seminar on how to control your emotions. I probably have something on my website about it, controlling emotions somewhere. Thank you, bro. In fact, in fact, not somewhere. I definitely have given classes on this. Okay, next question. Um, so there are a couple of related questions uh, around um, that that we have taste for uh, uh, listening to classes or listening Harikatha, uh, but uh, we don't have a similar taste in chanting or we can't motivate ourselves to chant. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. what, what should do? we do about it? Yeah. <laughs> you should read um, every book you can get your hands on and how to improve Japa and listen to every lecture you can. I think part of the problem as I've observed it is we don't understand how important japa is and we don't understand how powerful it is because if we're not chanting good japa you don't get the experience of how powerful it is and how important it is and so it's kind of like a vicious cycle if if you have like you say attraction for hearing bhagavatam but you don't have attraction for chanting you generally won't experience a lot when you're chanting you might even get bored chanting and when you don't experience it, it's like reinforces that, oh, I, I don't like chanting, but I like hearing, or I don't like chan, chanting japa, I like kirtan. And so the more you say, I like kirtan, the, the more you lay, say, I like hearing, and the more you say, I don't like japa, it like reinforces that. And it becomes like your permanent reality and that you don't get the experience of what good japa is like. And without that experience, it's going to be hard to break that cycle. So I would say do everything you can to, to be able to inspire good japa because you need that experience, because that experience will break this problem. But without that experience, you're just caught in a vicious cycle. You don't like it, you chant more, you don't like it, that reinforces how much you don't like it. It's just a chore, it's a botheration, it becomes a ritual. When actually it's the most sacred connection you can have with Krishna, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful relationship where you can open your heart to Krishna every day and you can be with Krishna. Um, and that's what you want to open yourself up to, that beauty. A lot of devotees say, I like kirtan, but I don't like japa. And I, and I always say, but japa, it's just you and Krishna. There's nobody else. It's even you're chanting with a whole group of devotees, but it's just you and Krishna. And kirtan, it's like so social. You're dancing together. Everything's interactive. Um, and japa, it's so beautiful. It's like you just locked up in a room with Krishna. So we have to reframe it uh, and, and appreciate what it is and appreciate what we can get from it. And then we'll be okay. That's the way I see it. Thank you, bro. Um, it was wonderful to know about uh, unplugging the mind. So, uh, yes. but... Can you, can you please explain a little more or like give some practical tip about how we can do it? Yeah. I have a picture. I'm not sure if I can find it. Can, oh, I, if I find the picture, I don't, I'm not, anyway, forget the picture. It's a picture 
It's a picture of a of a devotee, and he's got cords from his body. And cord is like, what do I have to do today? What am I worried about? My service, my job, my family. He's got all these cords, right? And so the visual is the next scene is he's pulling the cords out. Okay, all these things in my life I have to pull out. And I think, I think the practical way to do it is not as important as understanding the necessity of doing it. Because when you understand, if it's, it's, I think the way we could, uh, I could answer this question the way we understand it is, this is how japa is done. If you don't do it this way, it's not, I don't want to say it's not japa because you need, I can't say that, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I think if I say it, you'll get the message better. This is not japa if you don't do it that way. It's what you're doing. Is not, it's not japa in the sense that it's not the way it's supposed to be done. Like, you ever seen somebody do something and you know how to do it really well and they're not doing it well and you go up to them and you say, no, no, you don't do it like that. You do it. You got to move your hand this way and turn this, this, this is how it's done. And they say, leave me alone. I'll do it. I'm doing it just fine the way I want to do it. So we can't say they're not doing it, but they're just doing it wrong. So I think we need to understand that. This is, this is not the way you, you don't chant japa by just having your mind completely absorbed in what you have to do. You chant japa by freeing your mind so now you can be present with Krishna totally. And if you understand that deeply and say, this is what japa is, it's not this other thing. And creating the japa, the, that mood before I chant japa, this is what japa is. This is what it means. Once you understand those two things, it's going to be much easier to do that because then you realize, well, if I don't do that, it's not really what japa is about. It's not just schnick, schnick, ram, ram. Oh, I got 16 rounds done, Haribo, where are the pakoras? You know, that's that's not what it's about. It's about um, doing it properly. That's what is. So that's what I think will help us. Is just understanding this is what japa is. That other thing is not. And you'll figure out how to do it because you have to do it because that's what it is. Like, you know, um, if you, you know, if you, want to talk to your husband or your husband want to talk to your wife about something important you you expect them to be present to listen to understand because that's what conversation is you don't expect them to not pay attention to you and just be you know falling asleep while you're talking to them so it's the same thing with job it's a conversation and there there's protocol for conversation and that's the protocol turn off your life give attention and be in the mood so you can hear so you can listen. So we're just saying, turn off your life and be in the mood so you can chant. I hope that helps. You're the one who's going to have to, you're going to be the best one to do it. To figure Thank it you. out. Thank you, Bro. Krishna will give you intelligence how to do it. If the desire is there. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, okay. There's a couple of related questions around. Um, one is that, I'm able to chant Japa only if I wake up early. And if, if yes. I can't, then I somehow I'm not able to get the determination to finish my rounds in the rest of the day. Yes. Yes. And another similar question somewhat is that uh, if for some reason we are not able to complete our rounds uh, in the day, is it okay to complete in later days? And yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, so around that area. Okay, so um, the answer to the second question is yes, Prabhupada said. You don't complete, finish on the next day. Um, the first question, I can tell you what I do in situations like that. Um, I get in my car. Well, where I live, I live, I live in an interesting place because if I drive three miles that way, there's a, there's a state park where I can walk. It's like thousands of acres. And if I drive three miles that way, there's another state park. And this other state park you could actually walk, like if you walk the whole park, it'd probably take you three or four hours. So if if it's so bad, well, I just can't get my rounds done for whatever reason, I'm too disturbed, too much going on. I'll just get in the car, go to that park, and let's say I had no rounds done, I would just walk, because you can walk really far in this park. I would walk eight rounds, then I'd turn around. And so by the time I get out of the park, there's 16. You know, I just like paint myself into a 16 round corner. I have to, if I just walk eight rounds, uh, 
it's pretty guaranteed, much guaranteed I'll get 16 done. And you're, I'm in a forest, so, you know, there's no, I don't bring my phone, there's nothing. So it's kind of like when you're just not there and there's not the mood, you have to do something to try to create the mood. That works for me, that may not work for you. Uh, maybe for you it might be that you have to read something, read Leela or read about chanting. You have to do something to create the mood. Um, but creating the mood is really important. I mean, sometimes I've chanted amazingly good rounds in a really bad environments. That does happen. But I generally, uh, when I'm in that situation, sometimes I get very busy also. Um, like this morning, I had a class before your class. And um, it was on a topic that I needed to study a little bit before I gave it. So I was up at like three in the morning studying. Then I came and gave the class. Now I'm giving this class. After this class ends, I have a meeting. I'm not sure how long it lasts. And then I have a class at 11. So how many rounds am I going to get done before I finish my class at 11, which will end at 1230? I don't know. One, two, three, four, zero. So that's this is a reality. Your question you're asking is now a practical reality for me today. So you know what I'm going to do today. You know, you will, if you want to meet me today, you're going to see me in one of those parks, if you're in Alachua or Gainesville. If you go to one of those parks, I'll be there. I have to go there. That's because, you know, if I sit around the house during the, everybody's busy, they're talking. If I sit in my office, a million things to do. So that's what I do personally, find that spot. And, you know, you're saying, but I don't have a park to go. I live in Delhi. All right, well. There must be a park somewhere in Delhi. Or just walk down the street. You know, sometimes you have to get out of your house because people will bother you. You have to do something. One time I locked myself in a closet because I knew my family was going to bother me. So I just went in the closet. They had no idea where I was. And I finished my rounds in the closet. And they're like, where were you? We were looking for you. No, well, I was in the closet. You're not going to look for me in a closet, right? So I did something drastic that day because I wanted to chant. So... I have to leave it up to you to figure out how, you know, it's like, I don't want to chant the wrong environment. Okay, shift it. Get out of that environment. Do get into another mood. Or somehow or other, shift your consciousness. That's another practice you could try. Shifting your consciousness. Like, no, I'm going to shift. I'm going to, I'm going to do this now. We're going to, we're going to make this happen. I have to make this happen. We have to learn that because we have to chant 16 good rounds a day. So we have to learn how to do whatever is necessary to be able to do that. And you can make shifts in consciousness. You know, sometimes you can fake yourself out. I'm going to chant. I love to chant. This is fantastic. You know, I can't wait to chant. And you, you don't really want to chant. And you're telling yourself, I want to chant. And sometimes that will shift you, believe it or not. So... Um, I would just say, I leave it up to you to figure out how to do it. <laughs> you know, sometimes I answer questions and I always say, I leave it up to you. You know why? Because you have super soul. You have super soul within you. So, anything else? Um, just one last question, maybe. Okay. Uh, um, someone is asking that some psychologists or doctors outside, they say that uh, you, you know, you can pray every day for like two minutes, five minutes, and that's enough. Uh, why, <laughs> why do we chant 16 rounds, which takes about a couple of hours? I can give you a, a, an answer I like is from a Buddhist teacher. And this Buddhist teacher had an American disciple, and he, gave, and he had him chant mantras like, you know, hours and hours a day. So he said, why do we have to chant so many mantras? Thousands and thousands of mantras. He said, you know, for thousands and thousands of lives, you've been chanting thousands and thousands of mantras. Give me more. I'm the best. Let me enjoy. I'm number one. You're my competitor. Get out of the way. You've been chanting thousands of those mantras. So, you know, we have to catch up with the purify all those mantras. So we have to keep chanting. Um, it's true. It's kind of funny. But the answer that Prabhupada gave us, it's because this is what Mahaprabhu did, and Mahaprabhu set the example. So we follow, we follow the example of the acharyas. This is what this is the process. This is what the acharyas did, and so Prabhupada said sixteen at least. This is what you're going to need. Prayer is good. Two minutes of prayer, and then twenty-three hours 
and 58 minutes of, of material activity and two minutes of prayer, the odds are against you that you're going to succeed in that environment. So Prabhupada said at least 16. So we figure at least 16, that's a significant part of our day. And that's a powerful mantra, and that's going to work. And the Hare Krishna mantra is very powerful. So, you know, ultimately, it's because Prabhupada said, chant 16, that we try to get to that someday. If you're not there yet, we try to get there. Because he said, that's the magic number. And so he's the Acharya. We follow him. Previous Acharyas have chanted 16, 32, 64, 192, Takaridas, or, or 128 or 192, whatever it was. So we're following their example. So I found, I've studied a lot of psychologists, and I've found a lot of psychologists are amazing, but they're really bad with spiritual life. But they're really good with the mind. I mean, they really, they really